Welcome back, everybody, to the Gorilla Filmmakers Lounge. I'm Clint, and I'm here with Nick. Hey, everybody. How you doing? And uh, we got a great guest for you today. But uh, before we get to that, we want to talk a little bit about where we're at with the GFC. Um, we know that uh, we've been a little bit uh, out of touch uh, because we had so much stuff going on. And we want to bring everybody up to speed with what's happening. So, uh, Nick, do you want to talk a little bit about what's on the calendar and what we've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So by the time you've heard this, we've already announced uh, the People's Choice Award is well underway. Uh, views are I've been blown away in the first three days. There's already over 25,000 views have happened and it's just blowing up that's that's great so way to go filmmakers keep going you've got about 30 days I think and uh, as you know the, you, the winner gets a thousand bucks so that's going great the uh, we've officially announced the screening date uh, for the awards uh, which will be in the Alamo Draft House in Austin Texas on July 17th um, and at that time we'll be announcing all the grand prize winners the original the individual award winners and we're going to be doing a live uh, uh, Ustream podcast uh, live stream uh, before the event, um, <clears throat> and we'll then be streaming the event and the awards and everything. So and we're also going to be announcing. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, nomination. Tune you out for a minute. <laughs> the nominations for who actually is up for the awards, right? Yeah, absolutely. The nominations are going to be coming out in the next one to two weeks leading up to, so you have something to look forward to at the awards ceremony. So. And that's going to be really exciting. So we're really thrilled about that. And uh, you've all probably seen it by now, uh, but for those of you that haven't, um, the the uh, poster art for the uh, uh, Guerrilla Film Festival in Austin, done by uh, none other than uh, world-renowned artist and painter and comic book artist uh, Eric Jones. Awesome, awesome stuff. So we're really thrilled to have him uh, uh, join our, our group this year and, and put some amazing artwork together for us. So um, good stuff. And with that, let's move on to our guest. We have a great guest today, uh, Jason Kranek. Did I Kranek? Did I say that? Yes. Right? I'm sorry if I butchered it. <laughs> He's a director. He's a cinematographer and uh, all-around super cool dude, GFC alum. And uh, he's done all kinds of cool stuff from directing music videos to shooting stuff for the Reels Network. Uh, he's got a great web series that uh, that uh, he put together, and we're going to talk about all those things. So say hi, Jason. Hello. Welcome. Hey. Welcome. Hello, Florida. Welcome from Chicago, I guess. There's What's the weather like in Chicago right now? Actually, it's kind of murky. It's It's been up in the uh, blistering heat of pull out your AC unit uh, recently. <laughs> you actually have to bring out your AC unit? It's not just on all the time? Mine just runs 24 hours a day. It's uh, pretty close to that, actually. Uh, <laughs> I got home the other day from shooting out outside in 90-degree weather and realized it was not on and was very sad. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. That's so now it's been on. <laughs> so, so what are you what are you up to? What are you working on in this? Uh, we're in this this GFC uh, netherworld between events going on right now. So, what do you have cooking? What's happening with you? Um, we are wrapping up a feature film that we've been shooting for the past two years. Um, we just shot the last two days last weekend. Wrapped up uh, pretty much all but one of principal cast. Um, and then we've got two more days that we need to do pickup shots that will wrap the final cast member. And hopefully we're aiming for next year as far as to get it on the circuit. Now, as can, as festivals. can you get a little bit into what the, what the film's about or is that still? Um, yeah, no, no, we can get into it. Uh, we've got a, a Facebook page that we've kind of, uh, told everyone about what it is. Uh, it's called heaven is hell. Um, it's, 
Oof. It's, it's always a fun thing to describe. <laughs> um, pretty much it's a mix between a movie like Terminator and Aliens, um, post-apocalyptic, uh, with zombies. Um, and it's, it's roughly based on stories of the Bible. Uh, we took all the characters of the Bible and we kind of made them the Marines of the Aliens movies, if you will. Nice. And uh, so they're all kind of good guys, superhero-ish things, but you've got Moses, Jesus, uh, Judas, Thaddeus, like all these, uh, you know, known characters up against uh, people like there's, you know, Lucifer, God, uh, and then a whole bunch of zombies. Um it's it's a very so it's a small it's a small quaint film. Yes. It's a quaint film. It sounds like the awesomest plot ever. It just, is, it's, just tell it me is. at some point Jesus tries to nuke the site from orbit. <laughs> if it was up to me writing a script, it, that line would have been in it. Um, <laughs> it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> to be sure, I just uh, we we had a party the other day and we watched the first one and the second one and the second one is one of my top movies ever. Oh, Aliens. Aliens. I love, love uh, Alien Three, the Fincher one. See, this is a big. Uh, I, uh, people love to debate that whether Alien Three is good or sucks. I love to debate that because I thought the same thing that most people thought that it wasn't a great movie until I saw that director's cut when the quadrilogy came out. Oh yeah, and that kind of changes everything. It's it. They don't even they don't cut scenes from that movie. They cut like whole plot points. Yeah. Oh yep. yeah, that whole thing got just ruined in editing. It's like uh, it, it happens so often, and it's sad that it happened with with that film because he's such a great director. Yeah, it just he doesn't even talk about it now, which which I don't blame him after seeing what they did to it. Oh, and I love the whole. I mean, just the plot of of being stranded on this basically, you know, shithole prison planet with no technology whatsoever. It really brought it back to kind of like the first Alien. Yeah, um, where it was sort of bare bones uh you know this is and there's only one alien which is and then all these other crazy characters it's just it was a great film i thought yeah the fourth one not so much yeah we can we can all agree the fourth one is we can all agree that yes we we can there's no one out there defending the fourth movie going like wait a second hold on hold on but back back to your film for a second uh jason so uh other than other than plot, you know, I want to just uh, just briefly. That's a good opportunity. How does doing something like a feature compare to doing something like a forty-eight hour film? Like, I mean, obviously huge differences, but where is the where are the similarities and what is you know how does the experience of making a feature help you in something like the GFC or vice versa? Or well, uh, for our experience, it's kind of in the same in the sense of it's very indie as far as we don't have a big budget, we don't have you know, 20K lights, we don't have cranes, we don't have any of this stuff. We pretty much have the the gear and the resources and, and manpower that we would have on a 48-hour film. Um, and the 48-hour films are actually good training things because it makes you think, you know, quickly on your feet. And uh, the, the similarity to the big films are we would pay, like, for a location fee for a weekend and know that we only have that weekend to shoot these scenes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the same thing where it's like a run and gun like oh shit you know we can't screw around we're only here for a day if we come back tomorrow it's another six hundred dollars or whatever so you gotta get it you gotta get it yeah and i mean we had our share of casualties and 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 setbacks and and things to that nature as far as 
you know, losing a location or having it rain down or, you know, the members of the, the cast got hurt, couldn't make it that day and things like that. So it was very, it, it, it's been a learning process and it's been a good learning process. And, and I think the 48 hour type things help you, you know, if you didn't do things like that before, you would be lost as far as how do I get all this done in a day? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I think, and this is, you know, not, not patting ourselves on the back with the GFC, but that's, that is something that we keep hearing again and again, especially people that go on to make larger projects Mm -hmm. as opposed to, and you know, and many people have been guilty of it, of trying to tackle like, well, I'm going to make a movie and I'm just going to do it and make without any training Mm -hmm. or any, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've met that call themselves a filmmaker that have actually never produced anything. And then all of a sudden they're going to try to bite, bite off an entire feature film. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, well, I'll, I'll see you in six months when you're broke always, and it's not produced. And I don't mean that to knock people. It's just reality. You have to practice. I always think of it like, um, uh, making any project commercial or otherwise film, whatever it's, it's, they're all involve the same stuff and i always think of it like a controlled crash like here's you have this ideal project and basically it's like this plane's going down now the question is how safely and softly can i land it there's stuff that's going to go wrong and there's going to be problems and it's basically just constantly overcoming challenges and that's and and trying to maintain whatever your vision is along the way it's very difficult to ever get exact i don't think any filmmakers ever really gotten exactly what they had in their mind's eye because there's so many things that'll try to divert you along the path yeah that uh it's definitely good to have experience uh behind you with with whatever crew you work with the the crew that have been has been doing this is pretty much a small group of people but you've got people ranging from film school students um people like me who never went to you know film school that just graduated and went right into doing sketch comedy and 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 things like that and kind of teaching myself to newcomers to like you know some of our uh hair and makeup and and special effects we've got the gamut of people who've done feature films and then people who just got out of college that you know just want to get into a big project so it's been good for everyone all around like trained professionals or you know people just getting into it we're all still learning and we're all teaching each other you know this works this doesn't work this is how you do that easier more effectively and it's a good it's a i i do suggest it for people but you're right it's different than hey i have a camera i want to film a movie because you know i can now because i have a camera it's like well yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think uh, when it when it boils down to um, film school or no film school, it, it, people who are self-taught versus people who actually invest in the time to go get formal education, do you think there's an advantage or a disadvantage to one or the other? I've never seen personally an advantage. Um, I, I I went to high school in, in Florida, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did, I did too. too. Trust me. It, my the ten years between high school and, and moving to Chicago was ninety five to 05, and pretty much those ten years consisted of how do I get out of this damn state. Um, but so we didn't really have too much down in Florida as far as uh, schools or people doing the same type of thing at that time. We were doing improv comedy right when Whose Line, the British version, started mm-hmm. to premiere like around 96 or so. Oh, cool. Um, 
Yeah, so we were doing that. We were the only uh, improv group that we knew of in Florida at the time. Um, we were actually opening in dive bars before the first season of South Park. <laughs> really? Yeah, they would they would wheel out uh, a TV at a at a comedy club or something, and play South Park. But before that went on at ten o'clock, we would come out and perform. <laughs> so you were the opening act for a television. Pretty much, yeah. That's awesome, though, in a way. I mean, what a great story. <laughs> but it was funny because the, the short uh, thing about that story was um, this comedy club contacted me and a couple of actor friends, and we're like, hey, we want to put together an improv group. Um, can you come down and audition? And we're like, improv? Oh, like that whose line is the anyway thing. That's awesome. Yeah, sure. And we all came down, and they're like, yeah, we don't have an improv group. We want you guys to form one. And none of us knew anything about improv other than that TV show. So <laughs> so you decided just to go for it, huh? You decided to buy a whole bunch of books. <laughs> wow. And was just like, okay, let's learn how to do improv. And we, you know, taught ourselves. Uh, that branched out into sketch comedy. That branched out into putting together funds to get an old VHS camcorder. Well, now that's interesting because just to go back to your uh, GFC film from last year, and I remember watching a lot of behind the behind the scenes stuff of it. You know, you guys clearly, the group of your actors and people that you've worked with, and I'm assuming they're not the same people that you were necessarily working with in Tampa, although some of them might be. Um, it definitely seemed like there was a a knack for improv in that oh, yeah. group so that's interesting so maybe it's some of that background is coming into the to the stuff that you're directing i guess i mean, to go back to what you said about film school my film school was pretty much improv um i don't you know i can't speak about the people that went to film school obviously because I, I don't know what that's like but kind of the improv background is my everyday i use it it helps me it it without it i wouldn't be able to probably do especially the 48 hour thing um, that is almost 90% improv as far as, you know, you have to do it. You have to write something really quick. You have to come up with a situation or a way to shoot this scene that is not working when you wrote the storyboards at two in the morning on Friday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so improv is kind of, it's always there with me, no matter what I do. Even if I write a script, I'll pretty much bring the script and be like, this is the the basic version of it. Let's just improv it and see what happens with it. Have you, uh, have you found, and this is something, uh, Clint and I often talk about, have you found that the geography of where you live now, you're in a, and Chicago's one of the largest cities in the United States, you know, top four or five, I assume. Right. Um, so have you found that being in a city that large has just helped your career blossom as a, as a filmmaker or has it hurt you or how does that compare with Florida? Like what's the difference? Has it made a difference? I think it's a huge difference. Um, Florida, like I said, we were a small group of, of people doing this improv thing and it was before YouTube. So there was no real way to get your stuff out there unless you did live shows or you toured and, None of us could afford a tour because we all had day jobs. Um, so I needed to kind of get to a place that my day job could be that thing. Mm. And in Florida, as you as you know, unless uh, unless you, you you're you're doing something in a studio or or something like that, there's not a whole demand for people to shoot commercials or people to shoot films. I mean, I remember when that first Punisher movie came out that was mm. shot Ebor. That was like a huge oh Florida is going to be this mecca. And 
we all kind of got happy and then it was like okay what happened to the next movie <laughs> right right yeah it, it just it didn't help that it sucked so bad <laughs> and it was i was excited too because that, that shot at the end on the skyway you're like that's and, awesome yeah and then now <laughs> just a- my my other thing is I moved in 05, which was the year that we had those three huge hurricanes, like, oh, yeah. apart. <laughs> so that was another reason for me to go, you know what? <laughs> not, the, not the best place to be. Oh, uh, yeah, you got out just in time. Uh, yeah, and actually, you know, it's funny, too. I mean, the, the this just is... The history of Florida, actually, a lot of people don't realize this, but Hollywood, more or less, was originally based in Jacksonville. And, yeah, uh, you know, the... the uh, uh, Universal, uh, what what is now Universal, and I believe uh, MGM, although that might not be accurate, were actually originally based out of the Jacksonville, Florida area. And the reason they ended up leaving here was because two main reasons. One, California you can make look like anywhere because just geographically – you know, Florida looks like Florida. There is no escaping it. You know, there, exactly. it, it's flat and there's palm trees and you can't, you know, there's no mountains. You know, so that was part of it. But the biggest reason was a financial reason. And you just touched on it with the hurricanes was unpredictable weather. Yeah. You know, yep. you, you need somewhat stable weather if you're going to be filming outdoors. There's, there's no question about it. Just to be a viable business. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that we really had going for us uh, towards the end there was when they they built out uh, Central Ebor. Mm-hmm. Um, they put that improv in there. Oh, yeah. And we were actually the house performers at that improv for a little bit. So that kind of – it got us to a place that it wasn't, you know, a, you know, a dive bar or a comedy club. It was an actual, like, legit comedy club. It wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. giggles or, or something like that. It was something that actually had space – big acts would come in, you know, you could actually put it on a resume and it, it looked kind of interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, right. We were sponsored by Red Bull for a little bit as well. Um, we were supposed to do some commercials for them that kind of uh, fell through cause they just wanted to do those uh, cartoon mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Thing. But I mean, that was the, the end of my involvement with that type of uh, thing. After that, I did uh, a public access show in Clearwater called Mongo Like Candy, and we did a we got a couple awards for that, and got on the Netflix circuit and the film circuit with that. But you got on the Netflix? Yeah, we're on a, a like a, a collection uh, disc of like three sketch groups. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm totally gonna go watch. <laughs> I'm gonna go yeah. find you. <laughs> it was it was a big thing at the time because. That's probably when they were really when they, is that when they were starting to do their red envelope production company like producing their own stuff. It was around 2003, I think. Yeah. So, Sounds- you know, I think YouTube was just starting or, or something. No, no, YouTube wasn't really until '05. That's okay. what that's what okay. people just forget. It really wasn't. I mean, it's changed everything it in, did. in six years. <laughs> that's crazy. My my new goal for my mental health <laughs> is to stop reminiscing about the fact that YouTube wasn't around when yeah. I was doing all this stuff because it's it's I kind of have held that as a crutch for almost a couple of years now that what where would we have been if YouTube was around blah 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 right and it's just it's self deprecating it's I've I've kind of trying to to go the route of. I did 10 years before anyone really knew 
anything about us because there's no way to get that information out to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using that as like training, you know. Well, yeah, you than- spent 10 years yeah. honing your craft. So yeah. now when you show up on day one, you're better than anybody else showing up on day one, you know? Which goes back to your, your topic about people that are brand new going out and making films for the reason of, you know, I have a 5D, I have YouTube, I can upload anything in the world. Um, you know, and I'm sure you guys are the same way. We didn't have that back then, you know? Yep. It was... In my day. Our stuff. Yeah, we didn't, day. We <laughs> shot on film. Is the people who got a flyer who wanted to pay, you know, $10 or so and go see our act at the coffee house or something. Well, and that's just it. I think that um, I was actually at a, a photography conference uh, last night, and um, they were talking about this ex- the exact same thing. It's that everybody's got a camera now. Uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the world's all muddied now because all the photographers decided that they can shoot video. So they go rack focus on flowers for a couple minutes and put that on YouTube. And then all the filmmakers want to get into photography. And those two worlds are basically clashing right now. And, and we're, you know, where it all settles is remains to be seen. But the takeaway theme was that the market or the space is just flooded with content now. It's just flooded with content. And right. it's very hard to... Weirdly, like you're, you're saying that before YouTube, it was hard to get noticed. Well, I would even say it's probably harder now with YouTube to get it, noticed because yeah. you're competing against everyone in the world. And uh, to a point, though, there's also far more outlets. There's there far are, more places are. to distribute, and there's far there's more hunger for content because it's like now that people have gotten a taste of it. They're hungry for more, and and the cream will always rise to the top. And I think that even in a flooded space, you know, the even, best of the best will rise. You know, even YouTube, and they're starting to to slowly start converting over to essentially what they're trying to determine to be a channel format. You know, right. where your action content is grouped together, and your your original content is grouped together, and your comedy stuff, and and, and that kind of makes sense, if especially if you think, you know, and Clint and I talk about this all the time. The internet is just swallowing everything and it's it's pretty clear that television is next you know television as we know it is next so the moment you know and i think you know google didn't even though it's not the the best thing in the world yet google didn't create a google tv because they just thought that would be a a a good idea well you know they they did it because they're like okay well eventually if you can flip channels on youtube and get content and then we're streaming all those ads it only makes sense you know and the trend is going to continue in that way and i think that you're going to see within five to ten years um uh, the internet will have completely swallowed everything networks will be a thing of the past it distributors will be much their role will be vastly reduced because the distributors will be google or comcast or whatever um and you're going to see a lot more original content and it's going to be user created content. I think that yeah. people are going to vote with their dollars for what they want to see and you'll see viewers funding a show like Game of Thrones out of their pocket and that audience will get their own niche content made just for them. I think that you're going to see Kickstarter or something like it merge with something like Google and and the on demand model. And eventually content is going to be whatever you want and dollars money talks and that those that will be the future. I don't think studios are going to have a monopoly on it for very much longer. There, the interesting point, and then I would like to talk to you guys about this because I haven't talked to too many people about it. The the juxtapose between you know anyone can get a camera and put up a film now with YouTube. Um, for people like me, 
I kind of look at it in the way of, well, now I can actually do something and put it up online and people can actually see it. And it kind of gives me a drive to, well, I'm not doing any, I'm not doing all these things now in vain and to a small selection of people. There's actually that light at the end that says, well, you know, don't talk about it, do it put it up and you know well we were talking we were talking about this now now that okay in theory even though it's not a ton of money unless you're getting tons of views you know even youtube for instance has rolled out to where now pretty much anybody can quote unquote monetize their videos mm-hmm. as of the time as of the time that we're recording this we got a little noise going on in the background here hold on one second <clears throat> It's monkeys. Yeah, it actually is monkeys. It's really weird. It's going down, Jason. It's going down. <laughs> Tell everyone in Chicago the monkeys have finally sprung loose in Florida. I've watched and seen it. I know all the things that are going on in Florida. Oh, the the zombies? Yes. You know what's really weird is they keep getting closer. It's like, first it was Miami, then there was one this, and it keeps getting closer and closer to Sarasota. I'm like, this is, you know, just get a little weird. Um, Anyway, uh, so even with YouTube, we were talking about this just the other day. Uh, you know, the the idea is that. Hold on one second, Jason. We got to pause for a moment. Clint just died. Yeah, we... I'm gonna mute for one second. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay, so yeah, and I mean, with YouTube now, the fact that anybody can monetize their their videos now we were talking about that you know it's it's hard to get a solid numbers on this but theoretically for a guy like you that's producing your own content it's breaking out now right now you get about three bucks per thousand views of your content so which is crazy so it takes about three million views a month and you could theoretically probably be making about three grand a month and and, and living off of it ish those prices that those numbers are so skewed against the content creator that, and it sucks that there's no competition out there. But there will be. Those. I mean, that's the thing is the the fact that you now are for the first time ever as the content creator, other unless you went through the studio model and got got lucky enough to get a show picked up on a network and all that. Right. Theoretically, now you actually are getting a share of that whole advertising model for the first time that's actually pretty revolutionary now those numbers can change and go up and down and and what have you and more people can yeah. come out and go oh, we're gonna pay more you know mm-hmm. it's it's we're at an interesting time in that I, I to me back to what we were talking about before though is like you said you know it's, it's compelling to you to have an audience and to know that there's more of an audience out there and not that everybody does does this entirely for money but it is also nice even if it's not a lot of money to know that you can start getting something back well is, I th- is interesting i think that the perfect example of that is um, in, in at least in a small way uh, look at what Felicia Day has done look at what Fre- Freddie Wong has done look at what um, 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 uh, Joss Whedon has, has done I mean even to an extent Kevin Smith was one of the early ones I mean the niche audience is the audience it's not a niche it, how many times does a movie come out like Avatar where every man woman and child on the planet goes and sees it it's very rare most of the time you you get tuned into your particular flavor of entertainment whatever that might be and that might be very small it could be a series of webisodes or it could be um, a show that only you are interested in and a few other people scattered around but it it, it, it matters to the audience 
audience. They care. Yeah. And and so the, I think that there's an entire careers will be made off of smaller audiences that are just extremely loyal to that content. And if you look like Felicia Day, a lot of people would never know who she is. But if she goes to Comic-Con or Dragon Con, she's a god. Yeah. And the same with uh, Joss Whedon, a little more so after Adventures. Or, uh, I'm sorry, what am I saying? Uh, Avengers. And um, uh, Dr. Horrible. Yeah, the guy's a god. Or Nathan Fillion, all those people. Well, Freddie W. is a great... Uh, like I have a conversation at least once a month about that guy for two reasons. Like one is the fact that he's, he's like us. He's not, you know, he's not your James Cameron or something that Mm -hmm. you can't even begin to think, Oh, I'm just like that guy. Mm -hmm. No, Freddie W is kind of like, he's a guy. He, you know, went to school. He just wants to make films. He puts them up online. So there's an inspiring thing to people like us. That's like, well, I'm like that guy. He's not Brad Pitt. You know, he's, he's just a normal guy. He makes films. People watch his films. Great. The other uh, part about him that I love is, to me, watching the stuff that he puts up, other than this, this recent thing where he did the whole TV show aspect, mm-hmm. most of his videos are kind of like, hey, I have this idea. I want to do a rocket jump. Let's film a video. And they fucking go out and do it in like a day. Right. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a... I want to sit down. I want to write a script for three months. I want to shoot for, you know, this amount of time. And this is the thing. It's like, hey, look at this green screen effect I got. Instead of putting up a a little five-second video showing that effect, why don't we just... Well, and that's interesting, too, because you can actually, based on the fact that you can monetize views, not to not to bring it back to money, but it's now worth your while to do that stuff, yeah. whereas whereas before, there would be no outlet for it. Like, what, yeah, would, what would be the hope? You know, you couldn't get that aired on NBC. You know, no one's going to air 30 seconds, you know? Yeah, and there's multiple people that you can give examples like that about. Most of them seem to be in L.A., but there are many, many people that I subscribe to on YouTube that I'm pretty convinced they're, they don't have a day job. This is all they do. Everything they put up, they get, you know, 2 million views in a week. So if it's like you said, three, 300, it, 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 it varies, but the, av- the, the literal YouTube wide average is about three bucks per thousand. But if you're, uh, um, if you're a top line premium partner or whatever, then it's like five bucks per thousand or even mm-hmm. higher. It just depends. But that's, that's kind of, you know, you have to make it your job. I mean, you have to sit, I yep. mean, that's the thing about Freddie Wong is that he will, he, some, at some point he sat down and made the decision that this was going to be his full-time gig and he was yep. going to be a YouTube content creator. He's not out making feature films because he doesn't have time because he's shooting two videos a week and behind the scenes stuff. And he's doing all the others. I mean, there's a point where I think you have to, um, you kind of have to call it like, what, what am I going to do? What's my niche? What's my thing? And then you got to just commit to it like 2000%. And that's what he did. I mean, well, and here's an interesting thing. And I think this is a good opportunity to shift gears, uh, Jason, into some other sorts of projects that you've been working on. And we can talk about studio versus YouTube a little bit more in this is I, I think music videos are really interesting opportunity for filmmakers and bands in general, you've got two different art forms that now both, you know, there's all sorts of local bands, regional bands, nationwide bands that want to get their music video, not on MTV anymore, 
but on YouTube. And yeah. as a filmmaker, that opens up all sorts of opportunity for you. And I know you've done, uh, uh, you know, about a half dozen music videos. So why don't we talk about that for a little bit? Um, music videos, music has kind of been my life uh, for as long as I can remember. I kind of dabbled in the, you know, want to do a band myself, but just couldn't find people committed to do it. So I ran a music store for like eight years in Florida. Um, that was kind of the closest I got, <laughs> but I always dreamed to do music videos. Like I, that was one thing that I always wanted to do. And once, you know, cameras started getting available to me, that's what I started to do. Um, I think it's great. I think working with musicians are just as creative as working with fellow filmmakers. It's, it's, it's to me, cause I, I did a, a stint in photography to me, a lot of the best photo shoots I did was with bands rather than with models mm -hmm. just because they're all friendly. They all want to, you know, they're not necessarily there to get their left profile shot. They're, they're just there to have fun. And, and they're, they're performers that yeah. they're on They're when they, when you'd say, okay, we're going to go they're just, they're just on and they know how yeah. to play to the camera or the audience. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and doing music videos for me has just been one of the best things because I like doing the music videos that are like story based rather than let's just shoot guys performing for three minutes. I kind of like to do story based, like mini films. And the best thing about that for me is I'm not the strongest writer as far as dialogue. Um, I'm a good writer at uh, ideas and situations and music videos that are perfect because you don't need scripts you just need situations pretty much right um and then you you shoot your little mini film within the the, the song and i i've had tons of fun doing it and it's funny because a lot of the stuff i've shot that is more story-based we shot one of the first music videos i did was kind of roughly a homage to uh old sam Raimi evil dead type stuff where nice, we have nice. the instruments uh, capture the band and then the band breaks free and fights the instruments one-on-one. -on -one. Very uh, old-school Evil Dead style, uh, puppeting the instruments from off-camera. I'm very anti-CGI, so I like everything. You know, if you can shoot it, you, can sh you should do it. You shouldn't fake it and green screen it. So what was fun about that video is the band came to me and I gave them this idea and they kind of were just like, they trusted me because I've done photo shoots with them for years. But they were like, you know, we're not actors. And I'm like, that's even funnier. You know, yeah. it's better if you guys are the hokey horror 80s film type people. It's better to be like that, I think, for this particular project. And I've done other videos where I had actors, but it's it's. At the end of it, it's about the music, really. That video, it's not really about, oh, we can't act. Well, that's a great, that's a great reason to do a music video because you don't have to do any lines, really. You just, you know. When you, uh, sorry to cut you off, I just have a, a question that I think a lot of people who are listening um, would want to know your thoughts on this. But as someone who produces and directs music videos um, as frequently as you do. Is what is the way in to that? Like for someone who wants to do it, um, I mean, do you just go find a band and say, "Hey, I want to do this," or do you do a few and then you know get um, somebody to represent you with labels? Or how does how does one begin? Well, my way in was photography, um, 
And just to quickly touch on this, because you, you brought it up, and I wanted to say something before. I used to do the film circuit. I used to do you know improv and sketch. When that kind of fell apart, this was back in 2002-ish, uh, we didn't have the YouTube. We didn't have... The only way I could still keep performing, really, was to do like a one-man show, mm-hmm. which... I wasn't really into, so I kind of, I got my first camera that came free with my Dell computer or whatever, like one megapixel camera, and would do so, <laughs> do like what turned into MySpace photos, you know, the self-shot photos. I would shoot myself, started getting responses from my friends that were like, I like your photos, you want to do a photo shoot of me? And I was like, whatever, okay. And that kind of developed into people liking me uh, as a photographer, and then I started seeing the path of, well, being a photographer is kind of being a filmmaker, but you only have to rely on one person and you can do it, you know, in the confines of your house. You don't have to do a live show or, or whatnot. So I got into photography. And then when these cameras came out, I got back into video. But my in for music videos was I shot bands in Chicago for about three to four years when I moved up here. And once I started getting back into film, those bands were like, well, hey, can you do a, a music video for us? So you'd had that, you'd already established a certain level of trust in your work and, and your approach with the yeah. bands. And again, it was the thing that the bands were like, oh, you shoot film? And I had the option of saying, yeah, I used to do it for 10 years, but no one knows it because you haven't seen it. So I had to kind of, they, they had to trust me. It, it had to be like a, yeah, I used to shoot film. I know what I'm doing. I can't really send you too many examples other than old VHS encodes that I've uploaded, but yeah, trust me, I, I can do this. Right, and right. The first one was a, a, a very long 18-hour day, um, probably something that I I wrote way too much and was way too complex and should have been shot in three days, but we had the space for a day, we had the, the crew and equipment for a day, and we just did it. And luckily, my crew, you know, pulled through and, and stuck it out with me because it was a that was the the Evil Dead one, um, and I, I did it the whole you know the the storyboard route. I had the the call sheet with the times of when we were going to shoot each scene. Mm-hmm. It was all planned out in my head. It pretty much went according to plan. But it was just a you know a commitment thing. You had to go in there going, kind of like again to go back to the forty eight hour thing. You had to go in there going, we only got this space for a day. We only got this stuff for a day. I wrote this long script that I don't really want to sacrifice and and make it into a let's just do performance stuff. So you kind of had to power through it, and that's where the improv thing came into play again. It was like, you know, we've only got two more hours left. Let's cut that bit. Let's add this bit to that bit. You know, let's get it. So what's next? What do you, what do you, uh, where do you see your career? Where do you want it to go? What uh, sort of projects do you, if you could pick, you know, Jason's ultimate life <laughs> as a filmmaker, what would you be doing next? Well, my biggest thing that I've done recently is uh, I quit the day job route um, back last year in summer, and I went freelance and have been doing the film circuit, some photography, some editing since then. And the goal for me is just to pretty much continue to do this as a job. Um, it's To me, it's so much more creative that I'm getting work or I can get work based on my skills rather than based 
on, you have a computer, you know how to type, you know, do these numbers. Um, it's, it's really inspiring to, to, to know that if you're going to hire me, it's going to be based on the fact that you like this type of stuff that I do. And I think the music videos, I would love to continue doing that. With this feature wrapping, that was a great experience. I would love to do more features. Um, it, everyone, I think, wants to do like feature films and everything, and I think a lot of it is held up by finances and equipment and gear. And yeah, you want to do a movie, but you can't afford to do a movie. But I think that's where Kickstarter and, and places like that come in. So hopefully me and the people I've been working with can get to a point that we've got bigger companies and people that actually have funding that can come to us and say, hey, we want you to shoot this film and we're going to give you enough money so you can quit your day job and not have to sacrifice. We only can shoot on weekends or we only can shoot at night. <laughs> and I think that's the goal most people want is just to be able to do this as a job, kind of like the, the Freddie Wong thing. Even if it is just little web videos, I think that's a good start. And then from there, who knows where that secret door is that gets you to the, you know, Wrigley Scott-ish where he started. I think he started in commercials, actually. Okay, so Jason, talk a little bit about, um, I know a lot of people are in the same position that you found yourself in about a year ago, um, and I recently took the plunge myself, and I know Nick did too, um, quitting your day job, making the decision to go full-time freelance, and like, what's that psychologically, how do you arrive at that position, and how do you prepare to do that, and I don't know, how would you, what advice would you give to somebody who's working a Joe job and wants to get out of it and start creating full-time? Uh, well, psychologically, I don't think you ever get to the, the fact that you're safe. Um, my thing has been not thinking about it, like not thinking about finances, because if I do, I'm just going to self-destruct. Um, the decision pretty much came from the fact that I felt that I was working 40 hours a week at this place that was kind of doing production and kind of sort of in the field of this, but it just wasn't letting me get creative with any of my own projects. And it was so draining mentally and physically that when you, I got home every day, even though I had, you know, six o'clock to 10 or whatever and weekends to do something, I, I was just so beat. Um, we ended up shooting the film on the weekends. So I was working, you know, 40 hours and then shooting all weekend this film and then going back and doing the 40 hours. Ugh. And it just, it just got to the point for me that it was, uh, I, I kind of balanced the amount of money that I was making there based on how many jobs I would have to get a month doing freelance, doing film type stuff to kind of make it even. And it wasn't really a big uh, difference. Like uh, you get paid a lot more, hopefully, if you're doing this type of work, even if you get like one or two good clients or one or two clients at all, you can kind of float by. I've, I've never been one to live with money like my money situations has always been pay rent and maybe have a little bit to go out. Maybe. Right. And, and my going out money usually is buying new gear. So you know, <laughs> I, I, I do the same thing. And I think that, uh, it, it's funny cause Tim Ferriss talks about this in the four hour work week. And I know that this is a conversation Nick and I have had many times, which is that you can either sit at a desk at a Joe job or wherever you're at and trade your time for money. And every hour pays you, you know, whatever. Or if you are freelancing and you do it right, 
in two days you can make a couple grand and you can st- and then the rest of your the other 29 days out of the month or 28 days out of the month you can do whatever you want and uh, you know one if you shoot a wedding for example if you're just starting out you know, maybe you're not shooting movies yet but if you're shooting a wedding and someone's paying you 1200 bucks well you do that two or three times a month i just made the same amount of money in three days yeah but the hustling to get those gigs and and getting out there and and ringing people's phones and getting those clients that's that's the tricky part to well i think one of my decisions was also based on the fact that the last year that i had a day job i was starting to get those phone calls that were hey we like your stuff we've seen your stuff can you come out to la and shoot for a week and my answer always had to be no i have a day job i can't leave and it got to the point that it was so heartbreaking to to know that people were liking my work or my name was getting out there, but I still couldn't do anything about it. It's like you felt like you were missing opportunities. Yeah, and I was. And like, you didn't know how many more you were going to get, too. That's exactly. The other and and I did screw up a bunch of opportunities that would have been big and now never have called me back, and I, I just mm-hmm. totally screwed it. And the, the situation I'm in now, most of my calendars may look empty, but if someone calls me today and says, I need you tomorrow or for a week, most likely I'll be able to say yes. And that's such a great feeling. And you just have to focus on, I think, that feeling and the feeling you were talking about where you only need to do one or two jobs maybe and make a month's worth of rent. You have to kind of focus on those things rather than stressing out about, oh, God, I don't have money. Oh, God, my calendars isn't booked this whole month. What am I going to do? And you just have to work at it. You have to just, you know, keep making. And you got to put yourself out there. Like you were saying, I mean, your work has, you got to, you got to pimp that stuff hard because if no one knows you're alive, no one's going to hire you. Exactly. They have to know you're there and they have to know you're good and they have to know that you're available and, and, and it's, it's no one else can do it but you you only you can promote yourself word of mouth goes only so far and eventually like you've still got to be out there putting out fresh work and if you're not and that's the thing i tell people all the time is if you're not doing paid work then do personal work your personal work's what's probably going to get you paid work because it's the stuff that's the most pure it's it's coming from your creative core and it's going to be your brand and i think that um uh, you should never sit idle. Always have something going. Always have some project cooking somewhere. And if you have to take a few days off to go do a paid gig, so be it. Yeah. But at least you're creating and you're adding to your portfolio and your body of work's getting better and better and better. Um, and that's what we tell people with the 48 GFC all the time is that it's a challenging thing to get into and to, to complete. But people do a lot of their best work under pressure. And this is portfolio work that later on might get you the next step in your career. Yeah, I mean, it, it could get I mean, the the film that we did last year was on IMDb because you know it was featured on your guys' site. So it, it's not only something that can get you portfolio work; it can get you noticed on like the big movie sites as well. And it, it's just overall, it's a, it's a great thing. And to touch on your YouTube uh, conversation a little while ago, places like Facebook, places like Twitter. These things were pretty much designed as maybe social, you know, applications, but are are pretty much your agent. You know, you can so powerful tools. So, and and if you just think of them in that way, and think of them in the hey, instead of just posting what I had for breakfast today, uh, I've kind of turned my my. I have two Facebook pages, my personal one and my my company quote quote one, and I'm kind of using those more so than I'm using my .dot com as far as 
portfolios. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I noticed uh, I noticed that on your Facebook wall. You've been blowing it up lately with late, you know, uh, with work that you've been doing, and uh, uh, it definitely it makes you curious it's like i want to hey what's that project what did you just what is that from that looks really cool what are you doing and i want to ask more about it and then it just puts you at the top of my awareness uh mm-hmm. as, as just one individual case of if i was looking for someone to direct a project uh you'd be at the top of my list because i know you're out there doing it and and hustling and, and for it, me, it works great because i'm the type of person that hates promotion like i hate talking about myself in the sense of if it was 10 years ago and I had to do cold calls and, and be like, hey, I'm a director. Hey, you should hire me because you might like my work. I'm not that guy at all. Like, I've never been that guy. I've never been like the sales pitch guy. So what I use these sites for are kind of like, hey, here's the stuff. If you like it, great. If you don't, great. But I'm not going to force it on you. I'm going to put it up there so you have an opportunity to see it. And you make the call, you know. Uh, I do think that that's an inter- that brings up an interesting point because I think industry wide this is something that happens a lot, and I think it's very. Um, I'm not saying you do it, but it happens a lot, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it discourages a lot of people. The amount of I'm just going to call it bullshit that mm-hmm. floats around on people's personal sites or work sites. A lot of it is spin. A lot of it's hype. Where you read, oh man. So and so is flying all over the world, and they're shooting a movie with Charlie Brown and Chow Yun Fat in Thailand, and oh, that's awesome! And I'm never going to be that good. And if you, because if you're out there looking at the work other people are doing, and you're looking at their sites, they always have these like blistering awesome bios. Mm-hmm. They wrote themselves, <laughs> or someone yeah. else. And, and and so a lot of it is. Um, it, it, there's a lot of spin and you have to kind of realize that part of it is you, you do have to puff yourself up a little bit and, and commit to accepting the truth that you are an artist, you're a professional, you've got to believe it. If you don't believe it, no one else is going to believe it. You have to say, I'm a director, I'm a photographer, this is what I do. I, wor- I may work at wherever, that's my day job, but this is who I am, this is what I do, this thing. And the second you start doing that, I think that... Um, that's a huge psychological hurdle. And once you get over it, things start happening. Weirdly, they just magically start happening. And I think the other thing is, and it seems like this is something that you do, um, don't worry so much about your own career. Go pump up everybody else's career around you. Like help all your friends and your group succeed. If anyone needs help, go out and help them. Push push for other people to collaborate and build that community of creatives around you. Yeah. And it's weird because when you start doing that, Work just starts to flow your way because that word of mouth is always out there. Everybody's out kind of, I don't know, it starts this buzz. Well, one of the biggest things for me, and I think a lot of people I've talked to as well, are contests like the 48-hour thing. Um, There's sites like Tongle. There's sites like Pop Tent, um, Zalpa. Uh, There's now actual websites up with contests that offer you, you know, some kind of reward, some kind of notoriety or payment or something. And for people like me who, you know, it's, there's the choice of, Hey, I want to go out and shoot something this weekend or, Hey, why don't I go out and shoot this thing this weekend that could possibly get me, you know, listed on a website that could get me paid or, or something like that. And it's the same thing. It's just one of them has an award. You know, one of them has like a reason to do it. And the other one's kind of like, you know, I could do it, but why don't I just do it in this, you know, format? And if you're going to do it anyway, 
Yeah, it's, you know. a, it's, it's a huge thing for us that, that I found recently. I've kind of been telling everyone up in Chicago, let's just do contests. Let's, you know, if we can win one contest a month or something, that pays, there's your rent right there, maybe. I don't know. It has to be a big contest, I guess. But there's the actual opportunity that that could happen rather than let me keep on doing things that are kind of video based but not necessarily what I want to do like interviews and then you and then like you said at the very least they go in your reel or your portfolio it's you know and it's not you're not it's not wasted time it's time spent that doing what you would do anyway but building towards something that has other potential benefits and and my pitch to everyone that I've worked with or has worked with me it's pretty much been the same it's like yeah there's a prize to this yeah we could be featured in this but you know what at the end of the day it's going to be a good film we're going to try our best at it it's going to be something that you can use in your portfolio and your reel and you can use it to get actual paid work i i never really go into these contests thinking you know i'm gonna win it's gonna be all this money it's just kind of like i tell everyone before we even do it i'm gonna get you a good product it's going to be something that you can use, you know, in the end, we could possibly, you know, get some notoriety and win something from it, but don't go into it thinking that just, you know, go into it thinking this is something that you'll be able to use on your benefit. Everyone who's involved, even though I can't pay everyone who, you know, shows up, this is what I'm going to pay you with, which is use this for your reel and, and go get work. Um, and it, it's a great thing. It's, it's something that if you have a free day, you know, come on down, shoot a movie and, you know, I'll get you the footage and everyone is kind of happy. And then if something happens with it and you win some kind of thing, it's, it's a bonus. But I think there's a lot of people that all their goal is, is to win. Hmm. And I think that's a setback because it's, it unnecessarily stresses you out more than it should. I think. And it shouldn't be, I don't know, it shouldn't be about necessarily winning. I know getting paid and and being able to pay bills is a good thing, but you have to be creative too. And it has to be something that. Yeah. If you're just, if you're creating because you enjoy the process and you have good people around you and everybody pumps each other up and you get excited and you're out doing it. And you also have kind of the bonus of doing it for a contest that you might win. Yeah. You'll you'll probably win if you approach it that way. It's people who get all bent out of shape and, and try to just go in guns blazing just because they want the cash. That's the wrong reason. It's the wrong reason to do anything. You have to do it because you love it. Exactly. The money will come if you just do it for the right reasons. So with that, on that note, uh, I think we're out of time, are we, Nick? We yeah, I think we need to wrap it there, let Jason go and get back to uh, his world of editing and getting stuff done. Hey, uh, Jason, uh, where's uh, is there a trailer yet for your film, or when, when can we expect that? Um, hopefully within the next couple months. We are wrapping up uh, the, the shooting, and we're editing it right now. Um, Heaven is Hell is the name of it. It's okay. on, uh, I think it's heavenishellmovie.com, which directs you back to the Facebook page. Got it. Uh, but we will get a trailer up soon. What we have up now is a whole bunch of stills that I've I've either taken on set or other people have taken on set. We've got a couple of news uh, bits where we've been interviewed so far for the film. It just got up on IMDb, so that was a huge thing for us. Nice. Uh, Congratulations. And, yeah. And if people want to find out more about uh, the other projects that you're working on or just you in general, where would they go to find out that information? Um, again, jasonk.net or the Facebook page is pretty much what I try to push everyone to the Facebook page. 
I kind of use my .com now as kind of like a best of portfolio. Okay. But um, I would direct them back to the Facebook thing. I think that works best, but uh, they're both the same name, so whichever you prefer. <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, good luck uh, with the GFC, and uh, we'll uh, be talking to you really soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity, man. All right. Later. Later. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> All right. I'm done recording. Are we, are we off? Okay.